Welcome everybody to Prodigal and the Priest and Me, a podcast about faith sports and two friends from different cultures. I'm Joey Scansella, joined by my co-host, Father Paul Bechter. And today we're going into some questions that people have submitted, some great ones we're excited about. Um, so if you would like to submit a question, please do so through Prodigal and the Priest at gmail.com, stanamparish.org slash ptp or any of our social media accounts. So that would be great. Make sure to check out St. Anne Catholic on YouTube and watch us there as well to see these awesome faces. So um, we got some great questions. You ready for it, Father Paul? I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. So this has been a burning one, and it's come up in many ways. Um, But Chris asks, the way the world is going, it seems like we're in a crescendo approaching a climatic peak. There have also been many mystics, seers and private revelations along with multiple marian apparitions that seem to point towards this as well always telling us to pray how do you guys feel about that are we getting close to a major shakeup slash wake-up call from god and i also just tossed in because many people ask us about kind of like messages of being like this is the end of the world and like you know, turn back. This is God's sign that everything's ending with the pandemic, with all of that. Um, so I'm not putting that on Chris. Chris asked that question, mm-hmm. but it kind of all is together in that. So initial thoughts. Yeah, initial thoughts. First, good distinction between the question that Chris asks, which is, are we close to a major shakeup, wake up call from God? Um, Versus, are we close to the end of the world? That's a good distinction. Right. Um, yeah, I've gotten this question a whole bunch, too. It just seems like... Are you saying that because of the pandemic? People have asked yeah, it yeah. more? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, here's the thing. We've been living Tell me. in <laughs> senti. That's Sorry, that means uh, listen in Italian. <laughs> um, we've been living in the end times... Um, since Jesus rose from the dead, <laughs> like, like that's, that's kind of how it works. I know it's weird to think of it like that. Um, but there are a lot of apocalyptic visions in the scriptures, both in the old Testament books like Daniel, which were very popular around the time of Jesus right. and the book of revelation, which takes up a lot of that same imagery, mm-hmm. um, apocalypse of Isaiah, some chapters in there. Like there's just, there's a lot of stuff pointing towards the end of the world in the scriptures. Right. Um, it's highly symbolic. And I think that's an important starting point for us. Um, also, maybe even the more important starting point is when Jesus says, like, <laughs> I do not know the day nor the hour. Nor the hour. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, and yeah, and so, if he doesn't, why would a why would a website post it then for everybody to be like, follow us, we know the day and the hour. Right. Uh, so like the words of Christ himself in the New Testament make it very clear, like that's not for us to know. And so just to repeat what you said, <laughs> um, we're not going to be able to use some algorithm from the scriptures, from biblical imagery or from Marian apparitions or from random websites or whatever to calculate the day and the hour. Right. It's just that's not how it works. Right. Now, Chris's question, though, um, is 
a little bit more nuanced and is actually much closer to the way this sort of biblical imagery works. And what I mean when I say we're in the end times right now and we have been for 2,000 years. Like, we know that Christ will come again. Uh, We don't know when, but we also know that we're all constantly being called to conversion. Absolutely. And uh, to prepare ourselves to meet him. Right. Um, Like, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Right. And that's always been the case for all of Christianity, that that's kind of what we're doing right now. Right. When there's moments of world crisis, like a pandemic, and there have been many, um, or like world wars, and there have been many. Or uh, something like 9-11, I remember this question Catastrophic events. A lot during then. Um, it tends to make us think, uh, to, to look at that imagery again from the Bible, um, and be like, oh, is this it? Is this it? And what I like about this this question is it recognizes like, these things are, in a way, signs for us to wake up um, and to go deeper into conversion and to prepare ourselves to meet Christ. Yeah, They're not signs that the world is going to end tomorrow. We don't know. Right. Like, it's not for us to know right. when the second coming right. um, will happen. It's, uh, it's for us just to prepare ourselves to meet Christ at any moment, knowing that life is a gift from God. Right. Um, that's why at the end of like night prayer, for instance, night prayer being part of the liturgy of the hours that you pray as a Catholic priest or a sister, and it's also a wonderful practice for lay people, um, really highly encouraged by the church. But one of the last things you say is, may the Almighty Lord grant us a restful night and a peaceful death. It's it's a recognition at, as like your last prayer of the night um, that, you know, I may not wake up. Right. Um and I have to be ready for that. And so it's it's constantly a call to conversion, a call to deeper faith and trust and to hand ourselves uh over into the Lord's merciful hands. So kind of what I'm hearing you say is on that last part of his like are we getting close to a major shake up wake up call from God? We should allow every day of our life be the major wake up call from God, right? Exactly. And that, and that these events happen and they should lead us closer to the Lord and make us question maybe some of the decisions and choices we're making in our life. Exactly. Now, little though deep dive on that first part of the question where he says maybe mystic seers private revelations along with multiple Marian apparitions seem to point towards this. Any advice on that? Somebody who is like researching and looking in heavily into readings of the like Marian apparitions or the mystics or the seers or private revelations. Could Mm -hmm. you just give a nugget on maybe some good advice in researching that or reading it, like taking it in context, Mm -hmm. any of that? Yeah. Um, So private revelation, which is um, distinguished from public revelation, right? So give uh, an example. Public revelation is the Bible. <laughs> it's the tradition of the church as right. revealed by Christ to the apostles and clarified under the guidance of the magisterium who is guided by the Holy Spirit. Right. So like that's public revelation and that is binding on our uh, faith. Like yeah. that's that determines our faith, what God has revealed to us publicly. Private revelation, so all these things that were listed, uh, there's been various, you know, people with mystical 
gifts and uh, there have been various Marian apparitions and messages. Like Sister Falcina with uh, Divine yeah, exactly. Mercy. Divine Mercy, these kind of things um, throughout history. Those are called private revelations and they're not binding on our faith. Right. You don't is, have to believe in them to be Catholic. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a really important point because it's like, well, our Lord appeared to Sister Faustina and said this, so don't I have to believe? Like, that seems much more vivid right, and real than, like, the church saying, you know, the creed or something, right? right. Um, but, like, that's very important to keep in mind. Those things are not binding on our faith. And the good of them, if they are authentic, and there's plenty of sort of imposters and... Right. Um, or just confused messages like maybe not people being malicious and saying you know the lord appeared to me and said this um maybe there's just confusion there so the church has to approve them um because they might not be helpful and the way the church goes about approving them in part is to look is this coherent together with what we've received in public revelation because the whole point of these private revelations are to clarify what we already believe um, right. there to, to come at it from another angle uh, to introduce a devotion, which brings out an aspect that maybe we hadn't been concentrating on. That's appropriate for our time. Something like the sacred heart in the yeah. mid 1800s. Um, like that becomes with uh, St. Margaret Mary, right. Alacoque, um, uh from that town in France. I've been there. I can't think of it, mm. um, but um, like she, she was a major player in introducing this devotion, which became a huge devotion throughout the entire church, including mm-hmm. an institution of a feast day dedicated to the sacred heart of Jesus. And in fact, the, the entire like month of June being sort of set apart for right. this, for this devotion. Um, that's, that's a, a private revelation to St. Margaret Mary that then the church evaluates and says, this is useful for us. Yeah, This brings out an aspect of the faith that is really appropriate for our time. It doesn't add anything. It certainly doesn't detract somehow from uh, the fullness of revelation which we've received in Jesus Christ. Like he has no more to say in a sense. Right. Um, Is, you know, the Holy Spirit is always speaking through the church to us. So, He's always speaking in that mm-hmm. way. But in Christ, God has revealed himself fully. Right. There's not like extra hidden stuff yeah. that we don't know about. So these kind of apparitions and visions and messages and stuff can be very compelling. Um, but you have to be kind of careful about how you go about using them. They can right. easily lead into sort of a conspiracy theory mindset <laughs> right. or kind of a superstitious mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that they're bad in themselves, right. some of them, right? but it can foster that kind of mindset that leads us actually away from like the means of salvation given to the church right? Um, and the public revelation right. in its fullness in Christ um, into some other kind of hidden knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's no bueno. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not good. So just to take it with a grain of salt and to recognize, like, even if you look at the approved messages and stuff like that, yeah. that have come through these visionaries, they're calling us to repentance and to prayer Yeah, for the sake of the salvation of the world. Like they're yeah. not, they're not calling us towards like something crazy. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Right. Right. Um, right. 
like we, yeah we're called yeah. to be like focused and christocentric right like focused on christ a lot of them call towards yeah going to confession <laughs> you know receiving yeah. our lord in the eucharist praying for the world like yeah. good things in general people so right. that's enough on that question um uh, let's go to the next one. Great question, Chris. Thank you for writing in. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anonymous person asks, what would it be like if Father Paul and Joey switched jobs for a day? Father Paul becoming a youth director and a father and Joey becoming a priest. First off, the world would be in a lot of trouble, people, um, yeah. <laughs> if we had to. Joey could not I handle think- it. <laughs> <laughs> I think th- I think the person hits on the more crazy switch would be vocationally, not so much job wise. I don't know. I'd probably get fired in my first day as a youth director. A hundred percent, you would. Yes, yeah. um, you would. You would see how it is to live on the other side of life. <laughs> you know all these things. But um, I love this question. It's great. But I, I do think it's but the vocational. Yeah, the vocational aspect. I mean, like mm-hmm. you know, going from that job to you know, family and children and chaos and, and that. And, you know, then by the time you have a moment of quiet, like you're ready to fall asleep and do it all over again. And not to say your life doesn't have moments of chaos in that, but I, mm-hmm. I think it is, it's a beauty. And it's one reason that Nikki and I take it upon ourselves to invite seminarians over for dinner, young priests over for dinner to see a little bit of how that is to be like, yeah, it's not as easy when, you know, priests are like, just gather your family and pray. It's like, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried like to just circle up and pray for five seconds? Like one kid's like starting to throw up. Another kid is throwing a temper tantrum. Why do they get to hold this person's hand? You know, different things like that. Um, I think it would be crazy if we switch jobs. Maybe we should do it one day. That would be funny. Yeah, have you simula- in a simulated all these way. sacraments? Yes, yeah, 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 for sure. I can baptize them. And well, I can baptize people now in the case of emergency. Yeah, but. just find some emergencies. Um, Thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that would be, I mean, I don't think it would be crazy for a day, right? right. It would probably be like, oh, wow, this is so different. It's really fun. Um, and there's a <laughs> there's a naive part of me it would be like, well, there's a lot of similarities, actually, even though it seems very different. Um, no, I think you're right. Because like the the sort of, especially in parish life, and that's something that I've um, come to appreciate this last year in the parish. Disclaimer, I love it here at St. Anne. It's wonderful. I'm just so happy here. It's great. Okay, and disclaimer, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of craziness and chaos and... Right. Uh, everybody sort of wants a piece of my time. And I think that there is a, a parallel together yeah. with the father where you're gradually realizing it's not my time. Like I'm totally at their disposal. Right. And um, so it's just this, it's it's kind of, okay. It's kind of like that, you, you know how the pelican is a, um, a like really beautiful image of Christ that the pelican. Pucking from its side to yeah. feed its young. I'm not convinced that pelicans actually do that but (laughs) all right skeptic over here but the church fathers liked it and so it's (laughs) so we'll go with that stuck around we'll go around so the idea is that like you know if there's no food a pelican will actually like like pierce its own flesh to feed its young and sort of like spend itself um for the sake of its children 
And so that's an image of Christ. It's also an image of fatherhood, um, both spiritual and material. I don't know, natural, right? <laughs> um, fatherhood, like that's that's what it is to be a father, and that is what it is to be a mother as well, um, in a in a different way. Um, not to exclude mothers or anything, right? But um, but being a father is but, harder. <laughs> that's what I'm trying. Um, to that's say. what I'm trying um, to say. <laughs> But like so, so there is that that thing. But on the ground, it does look very different. Mm-hmm. And um, celibacy, like one of the reasons that the church uh, just continually reemphasizes that this is not a burden; this is a gift, um, and this is not something we want to do away with because it's such a great gift. Like, yeah, it involves sacrifice. Right. Yeah, it's hard some days. I've been a priest for four years, and I've been a seminarian for what seven years before that. Right. Um. Like, yes, it involves giving up like a legitimate desire for marriage, uh, which I did to enter seminary. Um, and so, and everything that comes with that. Um. So it is a sacrifice, but it's also this this great gift of, um being able to find my, I don't know, I guess companionship in my relationship with Christ and with him alone. Um, it does also bring with it, uh, like more freedom to be able to devote myself to the people of the parish and the needs of the church. Right. It's a big part of it. And that, that looks very different than family life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really respect, these families who are like trying to do everything right. And it's just, it's just hard. Like your primary uh, obligation is to your children. Right. And so when you're trying to do everything right, it can seem sometimes like they're pulling you away from a, from a a deeper prayer life. Right. Or, um, yes. Or from a, a, I don't know, a more fulfilling job or something like that. But it's not that they're pulling you like, that that's not a great way to look at it. It can seem like that sometimes, right? But like this is your vocation, um, and this is where you work out your holiness and where you you lay down your life in imitation of Christ, and like that involves these other sacrifices, um, even of being able to have like to be able to make a holy hour every day or something, which is right. right. Yeah, um, exactly. And like you should still try, right? But recognize that. Like, yeah, it's like no it matter how early I get up, the kids will find a way to get up that much <laughs> earlier. Things like that, examples like that. A funny yeah. little thing to close out this question is, I think you would know a little bit more about kids' culture. I bring that up because last <laughs> night there was a First Communion where you talked about the movie Frozen and you referred to the main character as Ella instead oh. of Elsa. So you would definitely, if we traded spots, you would know everything about Frozen in one day. And I just... It's not just frozen. It's frozen is a symbol of everything. Like I just don't know how to speak to kids. Like frozen is a symbol of everything. <laughs> like I just I don't know how much they understand me <laughs> and what level of like vocabulary to use and what imagery is gonna resonate. And it just it throws me off my game. Like I, I think Love we talked it. we talked before about um me trying to at the penance. Yeah, uh, the penance service, talking about, like, have you ever had a pet and did the pet get lost and then you found it? But, like, 
the only answers were from kids whose pets went to the vet and never came back. And <laughs> just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm way yeah. out of my comfort zone trying to yeah. preach to, to kids. Love um, it. Love it. All right. Great question. Uh, thank you. Anonymous question person. Um, all right. Deb asked one more directed towards you. Um, but I will give my two cents as well. Um, because mm-hmm. I always do. She says, I'm curious about clerics investments. Um, Mm. When do you get to start wearing the collar? Mm-hmm. Do you ever wear street clothes? What's the meaning of the different vestment colors? And isn't it hot wearing all that stuff in the summer? Yeah. All right. Um, also, this is my youth minister garb. Yeah. Backwards hat. If you're watching on YouTube, HSM, you can see. Yeah. HSM shirt. So relevant. <laughs> so relevant. <Yeah. laughs> Engage in the culture. But... Um, you know, the, uh, let me answer the one I know. Vestment colors obviously go with liturgical seasons and feasts and special events. So, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see typically at things of celebration, you know, a wedding, um, a funeral, white. Now, a funeral could also be black, you know. Yeah, um, or violet. Or violet. Um, you'll see, though, during Lent, during Advent, the color purple, ordinary violet. time, violet, purple, whatever. Um, uh, green. Do you have a different word for that? Okay. Uh, green for um, uh, ordinary time, which we're currently in. So that's where the colors are to get that one out of the way. And mm-hmm. that's where we follow a liturgical season with that. But when do you start wearing the collar? Which is a common question because it's a little confusing. Some people walk around with the collar and it's like, oh, hey, Father. And they're like, oh, I'm not a priest. So yeah, just a seminarian. Just a seminarian. Um, Okay, so, I mean, there's a historical question there, but that would lead us too far astray. <laughs> uh, basically, what you find in most dioceses in, in the United States right now is that you won't start wearing the collar until um, pretty far along in seminary. There's a stage called candidacy, which sometimes marks that point, uh, but not always. It's always kind of confusing. Um, candidacy, where they go to study at major seminary? Sometimes candidacy happens at that transition point okay. between minor and major seminary. Other times they leave it right until diaconate. Okay. It's just candidacy is a, a funny thing too. Um, it's yeah. But as a seminary, okay, let me just talk about Dallas as a seminarian in the diocese of Dallas. Uh, you wear the cassock, which has the collar um, to serve at mass. Okay. And sometimes you'll wear it around, um, like around the church in between serving masses and stuff like that. Um, in some seminaries, they'll have you when you move from philosophy, which is minor seminary to theology, which is major seminary. So you're moving along in your studies. Sometimes major seminarians or theologians will wear uh, clerics, okay. the collar. Um, I did when I went to Rome, that's what we were supposed to wear um, from first theology all the way. So those last four years of my formation. Um, so as a seminarian walking around Rome, dressed like a priest. Um, right. And yeah, it's a little confusing, but if that's the culture, it's also not that big a deal. It's just uh, a little confusing for us because we're not used to seeing it so much here. Right. Um, uh, do you ever wear street clothes? <laughs> I do wear street clothes very occasionally, but I, I kind of have a thing for uniforms. I grew up going to <laughs> like a British prep school in Bermuda, um, and we had a uniform like the, you know, British right. school children shorts with the long socks and yeah. the tie and all that. And I've just always appreciated like not needing to think about what I'm going to wear. 
kind of like the Steve Jobs approach. He always had the same like shirt and pants so he didn't have to think about it. It's like, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like um, that. <laughs> but with with priest clothes, right? With clerics or or the cassock or whatever. Um those have have an important symbolism uh as well. Like they're they're a, a sign um that there's something unusual happening here. And so sometimes people give you funny looks. Uh, but other times people are like, oh, cool, there's a priest. It made me just think of Jesus right now, um, and I'm happy about that. Or other times people will come up to you when you're walking around and be like, hey, could you hear my confession? I haven't been in a long time. Mm. And that to me An is, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That to me is worth alone all the all the funny looks and stuff, um, which I don't get that much in Texas, but it depends on the city where you go, uh, how people treat you. It's just yeah. whatever. Um but I, I do wear street clothes occasionally, uh, certainly when I go play golf. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. What's the meaning of the different vestment colors? You are treated this. Sometimes people ask me why do priests wear black um, for our like normal clerics. I'd sweat. Um, <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> hides on, sweat. People. It shaves off answer. 20 pounds or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, and it's there's sort of a historical like... It started when it was normal to wear something like that or you're trying to distinguish whatever. Uh, but there is a nice symbolism of like death to self. Yeah. The priest laying down his life uh, for the sake of ser- serving the people and promoting the gospel. Excuse right. me. That was like an almost cough or something. Almost um, cough. <clears throat> weird yawn. Yeah. Uh, but and- what about the people that I'm sure it's a tangent, so we'll make it quick, but. You'll see some priests, and especially ones that have come oh, from other colors. countries, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes will wear, you know, white or like, it's like this blue shade or that instead of the, yes. so totally legit-ish. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a cultural thing. Cultural thing, um, okay. So wearing lighter colors in hotter countries um, is kind of a normal thing. Latin American countries wear white or blue or gray. Some, some places uh, don't wear black because they think... Well, this is my reading into it, but I think that they think um, that it's too strong of a sign value for the culture where they are. Okay. And that it's a bit softer um, if it's gray. Isn't it hot wearing all the stuff in the summer? Yes, but it's worth it. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Like that. All right. Cooper asks, asks, <laughs> asks, um, what? <laughs> it's a funny question. What kind of soap is the best and why? Foam? liquid or bar now i would almost pose a question back to cooper to say why would you think to ask this first off and second i, I is, love it yeah I've, i knew I've, you would no after, challenge to after the, the uh, 2d shapes you love these types of questions um are we talking like in the shower are we talking to like you know like wash your hands with yeah so let's make some distinctions all right not interested in dish soap right now yeah, uh, no one's washing their really, dishes with bar soap. Okay? Not really interested in hand soap. Well, I don't know. We can treat hand soap and shower <laughs> soap, I guess. So hand soap, I'm a big believer in the liquid soap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the I, one I have, that comes out as a foam, though. I've experimented with the foam. It just seems like those ones don't last as long. Um, and so I've come back to the liquid. But is that just like a mind game? Do they it might not? Be. I don't know. I, I think that there's less soap in the container. I'm getting less soap for my dollar because it's all foamed. 
Or, or wait, does it become foam when you push the thing? Right. So isn't okay, it the maybe same I'm, amount? I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. What I about? Just, I, it was all right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not really a big fan of bar soap. Yeah, that's like the worst. It gets all nasty on your sink. Like, there's where just, do you put it? No there's way a to soap keep it dish. Do you really get enough soap? Do you and share I, a bar of soap? Yeah, it's like everybody has their own bar. Dom, Fran, Joey, Nikki bar of soap. Like, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. So body soap though, or it's, or shower. Same so, answer. Same answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We like grew the, up with like bars of soap, but then when I got to college, I went liquid. Yeah, because you had freedom. Back. Freedom. Exactly. And I had this like, my mouth got washed out with soap one time because I said nice. something like, I, I think I called my mom a poop head or something. Uh-huh. And so I know. Can we censor that? Yeah, exactly. Do we, <laughs> I have to put this as we, explicit on iTunes. Do we um, need to dump that and then just go back, go up 30 seconds? Yeah, exactly. But we, uh, um, yeah, it was like, got my mouth washed out with like the yellow bar of dial soap. Could mm-hmm. never, could never again. Use the yellow bar. Had to go liquid. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> I never never had that happen. Yeah. Well, you know, to each his own. So last question. All right. Um, somebody asked a question anonymously. With all the concussions there are in football, would you let your child play football? Mm. Um, mm. So hypothetically, you had a child. Yeah. Or your spiritual children. Or maybe this is on the one day when we switch lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the one day you take over and Dom's in high school and he's a beast and he's like a five-star recruited athlete. Mm-hmm. And it's like he could dominate. Yeah. Would you let him do it? And would he it, wants to. That's the thing. Would I let him? That's a nicely phrased thing. Um. I don't know. I have kind of mixed feelings on it. Like, yeah, me too. Like the the more the science comes out, the more you have former NFL players like Are you just messed up. You just see it. They're completely wrecked. Like they're destroyed at thirty something years old. Um, I love football, but I didn't grow up with football either. Mm. So it's it's not like a. I don't really know how to play it that well. Right. Like I never figured out how to throw one properly. I can do all the other like throwing ball sports uh, just fine. Like baseball and stuff right uh or racket sports <laughs> i can't think of any others right now basketball i guess is or kind cricket of, yeah cricket ball played cricket like i can do all that i just never figured out how to throw a football properly okay um sometimes i get it just right but i'm not i'm just always overthinking it anyway right. um so it wouldn't be something i would push my kids towards my hypothetical kids um, right to playing football i think that there's a lot of good that can come from like the specific team aspect of playing football yeah. Uh, when you're a kid. But yeah, I don't know. I have strong reservations about yeah. about the injuries that they get. And I don't know if like, if we're talking the scenario you painted where like this is, you know, Dom's dream and he's a five-star recruit and he's getting like D1 scholarship um, to – and like he's, I, I don't know. I don't know if. Yeah, what makes if, it if worth the reservation? It yeah, that's you know, the thing. it's like okay, a free college education and millions of dollars. Oh, that's worth it. That at yeah. forty years old, you might not be able to remember your kids' names. I, I don't know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love sports. I love football. Um, you know, um, I played 
you know, and not like anything huge competitive or anything like that. But um, place kicker. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing. My uh, Nikki uh, always will be like, can he be like a long snapper or a punter <laughs> right. or a, a long kicker? snapper? It's the greatest. Job. You know, don't want him to be a kicker. There's too much pressure there. You get all these weird yeah. people, death threats, all that if you miss a kick. But yeah, after I saw the movie Concussion with Will Smith. I haven't seen it. Oh, my gosh. You got to watch it. Yeah. It'll make you like think twice i've read plenty about this right um but yeah and yeah, i watched a movie instead of reading <laughs> no i know that there's a lot a lot more that i could learn about it that would make me even more nervous about that idea yeah um but the same is true for a lot of sports too i know often it's tossed out just football but i'll just end with this is like i mean gymnastics you know like has a huge concussion rate soccer mm. has a huge concussion yeah, rate the second are. most to football you know, like all these things. So are we treating it all the same? Are we doing all those? You know, I don't understand how people are all up in arms at, also at times about football when we still let people put on boxing gloves and smash each other's heads or MMA or things like that. Yeah. I don't know. It brings up a lot of questions about that. And I think it's always that like thought of what are we willing what is really the benefit here? Is it because we want our kid to be famous? We want them to make millions. We think this amount right. of whatever will bring them happiness. Yeah. I want um, them to make millions. Um, yeah. To be able to tithe like we talked about. <laughs> that's right. So, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go for but, it. But, but seriously, though, like the good of sports comes from building virtue yeah. um, and camaraderie. And there's so much good to be had in team sports as well as individual sports. Um but when other things start to overshadow that good, then it becomes very difficult to, to right. really promote it. Absolutely. So for Joey Scansella, Father Paul Bechter, this is Prodigal and the Priest and me. We thank you guys for joining us. Take care. God bless.